Hello and welcome to the Pulpiteer Podcast, an audio online ministry of Pastor Andy Kroll and St. John's Pilgrim United Methodist Church. You can visit us online at pilgrimumchurch.com or you can visit my blog at thepulpiteer.com for more sermons and writings. Leviticus 19, um, the, the lectionary reading is verses 1 to 2, and then skipping on down to 9 and reading through verse 18. So we'll do verses 1 to 2, and then 9 to 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And down to verse 9. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep for yourself wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall not reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And keep your Bibles open. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. This is the last of a sermon series where we're just kind of looking at what it means to be Methodist and it's called the Character of a Methodist. And most of the time we've been looking at a writing that uh, John Wesley did called Character of a Methodist. Today we're going to look at an excerpt from something uh, he wrote called The Circumcision of the Heart. And in it is this quote that has to do with holiness since we're looking at this Leviticus 19, Be Holy as God is Holy. And, and John Wesley uh, writes, It is that habitual disposition of the soul which in the sacred writings is termed holiness, and which directly implies the being cleansed from sin, from all filthiness, both of flesh and spirit, and by consequence, the being endued with these virtues, which were in Christ Jesus, the being so renewed in the image of our mind as to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Um, so as we look at this, a couple of things I want to point out about holiness, as Wesley writes about it, and he draws us from Scripture, that's a disposition of the soul. It is a state of our soul. The holiness is something that happens um, in our soul. And then along with that, uh, it implies being cleansed from sin. So there, that, there is that um, cleansed from sin, but notice the passive voice in that, being cleansed from sin. It's not that you cleanse yourself from sin, but that it is something that happens to you, something you see, that you are cleansed from sin. And then you are filled with these virtues, virtues that were in Christ Jesus. And so, it's, again, it's in a passive voice, but it's, some, it's a work that the Holy Spirit does in you cleanses you from sin, and then fills you with the virtues of Christ. This is the transformation of heart. This is the new life uh, that, that is going on. And that's what's going on as, as Wesley sees holiness, and the Scripture teaches holiness. Now, historically, for Methodists, holiness has been a big deal for us. And it's been a big deal for us because it's an important thing in Scripture. And again, as I've said to you before, 
John Wesley understood that, you know, we have the Christian church. We don't believe that Methodists are the one Christian church and like everyone else is going to hell. That's not what we believe. We believe that if you follow Jesus Christ, I mean, that's that you're a Christian, but that God raised up this movement within the broader Christian church of Methodists, and it's worthwhile asking, well, why? What's going on? What is God raising up the people called Methodists for? And, and John Wesley said to preach and teach scriptural holiness, to say that God has called us to this holy life, that God will do this work in us. And so, I've thought it's important for us to, like, you know, as long as we have the name outside on the building, we might as well figure out what it means, right? And, like, live into that, that God has called us to be a holy people. And we see this in Scripture, and so I keep coming back to it because I want to put forth, you know, the scriptural sense of the word. And um, I am very optimistic about what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. I mean, isn't that a cool thing? Like, to think that what if the power of God really is greater than the power of sin? And, and I think that's a good thing to proclaim, that, that holiness. But I keep coming back to it um, because there can be some hang-ups with the term holy. Like if I were to kind of throw out to you, um, hey, we're a holiness church, what comes to mind? Or what if like, somebody said, hey, come with, come with me to worship uh, next week, it's a holiness church. What are you thinking? I think, oh, they're going to be fun, right? <laughs> a lot of times we think with holiness, it's like, it's like work, right? Like, oh, man, okay, so what are the rules, you know? And, and you think, and one of the things, one thing that's hard is if you think that it's just about following a bunch of rules is some of us feel in over our heads already. And so we just know that, oh, my gosh, if there's a bunch of rules, I'm going to fail. Like, I'm not going to be able to make it. That load is too heavy. Or we might also think that, um, you know, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm broken, and, and if it's just by my own might, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. And so we feel kind of overwhelmed, or we understand that we're a failure, we know that we're going to fall short. And so if holiness just means like try harder with this list of rules, then that's overwhelming. Or another thing that happens is, sometimes we run into people who claim to be chasing holiness and are really just jerks for Jesus, right? And, and so if holiness means I'm going to be kind of a jerk and condescending and think I'm better than you, then that, that doesn't play off well either. And, and so these are, I, I think, some misunderstandings of what holiness is. What if holiness is something uh, much more beautiful? What if it's more life-giving? I want to suggest that it is as we look at Leviticus 19 today. Um, one of the main things I used to study uh, Leviticus this week was a commentary by Ephraim Radner, and, and, or Ephraim Radner, and, and he wrote this uh, quote in here that really got me thinking. Um, he said, holiness is less a quality or a character attributed to God and reflected in creatures than it is a description of how God, in fact, temporally or within time, wills to act with respect to his creation by coming to it with his whole being. And I think what he's getting at here is holiness isn't simply an attribute of God. Um, like a, it's not, holiness isn't just saying that God is really, 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 really good. Or that God is not some just simply an, an ethical thing. But holiness is describing what it is like when God interacts with creation by coming to it fully. To help us think about what I'm getting at here, I'm going to look at what the, the word that's translated as holiness is. Um, kadusha. I'm going to throw that out there. You guys don't speak Hebrew, so I'm safe. So. Uh, but it means holy, but it also has, it implies uh, separateness um, or being set apart uh, or being singled out, being distinct, that sort of thing. 
you see this uh, within ritual stuff. And so as you look through the rituals of the Old Testament, there are, there'll be like instruments or things for worship that are holy unto the Lord. They're set aside specifically for worship in the temple. So they're set apart. Like they're, they're distinguished from other things. They're, they're, there's an otherness about it, that sort of thing. And so that means that if we think about holiness as being kind of an otherness, and if we think about holiness as being how God interacts with creation, that, that creation experiences God as holy, as being wholly other, then it would emphasize that, that God is this, this separate, distinct thing from creation, which means that, that God is different than us. Um, not only in being, I mean, God is an eternal, uncreated being, and we are um, temporal, created beings. And so there's for sure that distinction. But just the way that God acts, God's nature, God's way of acting and interacting are, are very distinct and different. They are holy. They are different than the way the world tends to go. And so in Isaiah 55, 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. The Lord is holy. He is other. He is different. And so as God interacts with creation, we have two kingdoms clashing. So I did the diagram. It wasn't making sense, and then you see the picture, and like, oh yeah, got it, holy, right? There we are. But I, I want you to think about this. Like here you have creation on the one hand, and then you have, and creation interacts and has, a, has an economy of interactions and ways of acting and, and patterns of the world in the one sense, and then you have the Trinitarian or the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that act and interact in their own way in a, in a self-giving love and uh, interaction. The Father uh, loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. The, the, this whole like, interaction that goes on. So within the Trinity is a relationship in and of itself, and that, that triune relationship works in a very certain way, and then the world does relationships in a bit of a different way. And so when this God interacts with and, and uh, um, comes into this creation, uh, it, it is experienced as a holy thing, as an other thing. It's, it's something different. It's other than. Um, and so creation is, is fallen in sin. Creation is a different, as I'm saying, creation is a different way of doing things. Everything is moving towards death in creation. Like that's just the way it works. Um, but also that sin taints everything. And so things are corrupt. They're Things will be disordered within creation. There can even be one, there's wonderful things in creation as it is God's good creation, but sin has corrupted it, and so sometimes it's corrupted as in it's, it's, it's a little bit broken or it's pointed the wrong way or it's uh, temporary and it's going to die or it's disordered as a passion or a beauty or something like that is pointed towards the wrong end. So for example, um, humans are, are gifted this wonderful intelligence and creativity and that intelligence and creativity can glorify God. And we see that in, say, the medical field where we're able to do in, insanely amazing things with, with medical technology. Like, they replace knees. And it's just like they just run them in and out. They do so many of them. Like, they're taking an actual joint. And this still blows my mind. It blows my mind because of how common the surgery is and how routine it is. But they're replacing your knee, right? Incredible. They'll, they'll do heart valves in your heart right? And go through a vein in your groin and like take out, what in the world? Insane. It's, it's amazing. So you have this um, wonderful, creative, and, and ingenious impulse for healing. Good stuff. But the problem is that um, ingenuity and in that intelligence can also be directed towards other ends, like making bombs that can blow up the world several times over, Right? And so within the way that the world goes, even the good things and uh, intelligence and ingenuity and stuff can be pointed towards the wrong ends. And so the ways of the world 
are, are corrupted, are, are fallen, are, are broken. God, as the triune God, has a different way of relation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this relationship of reciprocal love that spills out onto creation. And whereas sin in the world leads to death, God is life-giving and, in fact, is the source of all life. Whereas the way of the world is demanding, like, works-based righteousness, which is why when we hear holiness, we tend to think, like, well, you have to work to earn it because there's no such thing as a free lunch, that sort of thing. Like, this is the way of the world. But the way God's ways are of grace and of self-emptying love. Uh, Just to kind of continue to show this perspective throughout Scripture, you you find it in, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Right? God's name is holy. God's, God, is, God is set apart. God is different. Holy is your name. And may your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, here again, we have kingdoms colliding. Like God's ways are different than the world's ways. If that wasn't the case, if God's ways and the world's ways were the same, then the Lord's Prayer wouldn't say, may your kingdom come because it would already be here, right? But we're praying that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done. God is other. God operates in a different way, has a different economy, a different way of acting and interacting, that sort of thing. Uh, we see it also in Romans uh, 12, 2, where Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so again, we see uh, this thing about the patterns of the world. Now I'm going to kind of pause here, and you may be thinking, okay, so... Very nice that you did theology this week, Andy. I don't really care. Right? What does this matter to me? Why does this matter? What does this matter? That's what we're going to try and get to. And I'm going to use this Romans 12 2 to kind of start to get there. Sometimes this Romans 12 2 is uh, translated as don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. I think that's a helpful translation. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. There are patterns of the world There's the way the world works. There's the way God works. And the way the world works, those patterns are being imprinted upon us. I recently, a week and a half, two weeks ago, I read something an Anglican theologian said. And he said, and it's stuck with me the last couple weeks. I keep thinking of it. He said, pornography is a catechism in human degradation. I'm going to say it again. I was going to write it up here, but I want you to see the picture of the visual of the world's colliding. Pornography is a catechism in human degradation. I want you to think about what he's saying. You know what catechism means. Catechism is, is a training. Usually it's a, a verbal training and preparation for uh, membership or baptism. It's being shaped by the faith. If you're catechized, then you are receiving instruction for the faith. And one of the, points that he, one of the things that he's getting at is there's no neutral spot. Sometimes we can think, well... You can be catechized in the faith or in the church, or you can just be neutral and not be. But the point is, like, we are being catechized by something all the time. Like, we are being trained in a worldview all the time. We are always being shaped into a way of understanding and interacting with the way the world works and the, and the world around us all the time. You are being catechized by something. And one of the things he's pointing out is pornography is importing an, an entire way of seeing things upon you. You may think, well, why are you bringing that up as a, as a catechism? Well, the, I don't, the statistics may have gotten even worse now, but last I heard, the average age of introduction to pornography for, uh, for young boys is the age 11, which means that we have millions of people who are being catechized by pornography. They're being shaped as to how they understand not only sex and their own sexuality, 
but also they're being shaped in how they understand and view other people. And that's being done while dopamines and endorphins and things are being released in their brain. It's being hardwired, imprinted upon them. The, the patterns of the world are, are just being stamped on their heart, in their mind, and in the very, the very biochemistry just being imprinted on them. The world is catechizing you. Um, there's not a neutral spot to stand. And, and what pornography then is telling you, think about what it's telling you about um, what other people are, that they are objects, um, objects to fulfill your lust or your desire, objects to be consumed, really, that there's not another person there, there's somebody there that I consume, that I take in for my own gratification. That's, that's a disturbing way to, to see other people. But think of how you, you're continually training yourself as, as pornography is, is used or is, is viewed. Um, you're being catechized into that pattern of the world. Of course, I, that's just one very specific example. There's a lot of ways that we are catechized into seeing others according to the pattern of the world. We're in the beginning of a presidential election year. It seems like we just had one, and here we go again. And think of how American politics, how our political conversation goes, and how political coverage shapes how you view other humans. In some ways, it's almost similar to pornography and just the way it kind of is hardwiring things on because it's tapping into fear and anger, maybe instead of lust, but it's still tapping into these kind of primal urges and feelings and training you to see others as a threat and training other people to see you as a threat. And so now the, the way you see somebody else isn't uh, in, in the image of God, but it's, it's in, into these categories or as, as enemies or somebody after power or all of this sort of stuff. It's, it's just imprinting this stuff upon you and, and you are being catechized in the very way you see other people. It's interesting as you go through this, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. And then um, the other stuff I read from uh, verse 9 on, uh, it was mostly about how you interact with other people. As God gave the law, apparently it was a problem back in ancient Israel as well. We need to be told how we need to interact with other people because the world imprints itself on us and the way of the world is different than God's ways. The way of the world is different than God's ways. Um, We are being shaped. And so it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be holy as God is holy. That's why Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall love your neighbor. For I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor. That's part of being holy. Part of being holy. See, God engages this fallen creation. God engages us, but remains holy, like distinct. Remains perfectly who God is. And Radner writes about this in that commentary in a fascinating way because then God's holiness becomes about God crossing this great distance to engage with us, this great gift of God's self-emptying in Jesus Christ and engaging us no matter what the, cro- the cost may be. He says that, uh, Radner says that holiness is a distinction or a separation for the sake of granting life. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Like, here's where it gets, I think, really exciting and really encouraging. Here's where the good news rises to the top. God calls us out of the ways and patterns of this world, not because God made up some random set of rules and wants to be the giant hall monitor in the sky, which I think sometimes people think this. Like, God wrote a bunch of rules because God's a ruly rule maker, right? And we just think, but if you, I mean, think about this. How fun is it to, like, babysit people who are messing up? If you were the all-powerful Lord God Almighty, is that how you would set up reality? 
Like, here's a bunch of people. I'm going to make rules so I can scold them. What? It's not because God wants to be this giant hall monitor in the sky. It's because the patterns of this world lead to death. Viewing people as objects to satisfy my desires is terrible. It's horrible. It is destructive to me, and it is destructive to them. Engaging other people only through my fear and anger creates a toxic environment where you cannot grow. It's not good. In other words, the wages of sin are death. Our sinful brokenness leads to death. And then God comes in. Separate. Distinct from that pattern because he is holy. And instead of saying, no, this pattern of death is okay, he calls us to himself. He says, don't be like that. That's not what you were made for. That's not the way you want to go. Be holy as I am holy. You are not an object. You are created in the image of God. Hatred is not how we're supposed to engage with other people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, if you are holy as God is holy, you will behave differently. You will act different. But not because you are working hard to impress God. Instead, it will be because God's kingdom has come in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, because the blood of Christ has cleansed your soul, and the Holy Spirit is growing virtues within you to make you Christ-like, so that the patterns of your life are not the same as the world's patterns of life. Instead, they are holy. Just like your Father in heaven. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.